Alice, where the hell were you? Um, I went for a run. You've been gone for over two hours. I was worried about you. Well, then I went to Pinkberry. You went to Pinkberry? Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that because you completely blew our dinner plans. Susan Kirby and her husband? Oh. I'm sorry, I forgot. I have Alzheimer's. Oh, Mike dropped Alice. And welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and today's film is going to go down a little bit of a solemn route. We are talking today about the Alzheimer's heavy film, Still Alice. It came out in 2015. Excuse me, 2014. And uh stars Julianne Moore as Alice. And uh it also includes Kate Bosworth, Alec Baldwin, Seth Gilliam, uh, Kirsten uh Kristen Stewart, excuse me. Um, all in a tight little family dealing with some very early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, it was directed and uh, written and directed by um, Richard Glatzer uh, and Wash Westmoreland. And um, they really portray a woman struggling with her conceptual self-identity and because her cognition is decaying at a very rapid rate. And I think they did a pretty good job. Julianne Moore does a phenomenal job as the main character, as someone who is losing their memory. Uh, wonderful. She won the Academy Award for it the following year. And um, it, it, this one hits quite a bit close to home. In that uh, Julianne Moore plays a uh, linguistics professor and uh, uh, myself and my guest are also cognitive scientists. And uh, it's it's a uh, it's it's an odd one to to watch. So uh, without further ado, let's jump in with my guest host. My guest host today is Dr. Shanna Souther-Dobbs. Shanna is an assistant professor of psychology at Lander University in Greenwood, South Carolina, where she teaches intro psych, statistics, and courses on cognitive psychology and memory. My faves. Shanna also mentors a team of undergraduate research assistants in her stress and cognition lab at Lander. Ooh, 
As a researcher, Shanna studies how people think about and remember stressful life events and how those cognitive processes influence well-being. And I think that has a lot to do with what film we're talking about today. Shanna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. I'm so excited uh, to join you and this very cool club of teaching of <laughs> psychology people who have been on the show with you. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to have you on. We've been talking about this for a while. Mm -hmm. And as you know, uh, from listening to other episodes and hearing me chat about it uh, recently at the Southeastern Teaching of Psych Conference, before mm -hmm. we jump into talking about Still Alice, I want to ask your thoughts about film, teaching with film, and all of that sort of thing. So what what... What do you love about film? Well, film is a really interesting, uh, you know, medium to mm -hmm. explore the human experience, right? And I like to think when I am watching a film, my favorite like, type of film to watch is one that has me thinking. It's got like a puzzle mm -hmm. in it. Um, you know, it's got me thinking about the characters, uh, what's going on with them. Um, yeah, that's me as an audience member. Right. So as a teacher, mm -hmm. how do you use film in your courses? So I wish I had a more exciting thing to say about my use of <laughs> film in my teaching. I'm a pretty like a basic user case, um, situation when it comes to using film and teaching a clip here and there to illustrate a concept or you know, hey, students, um, analyze this. What's going on? You know, what what uh, do you see playing out in this scene? Scenes. Identify yeah. concepts. You right. Know. Um, but I I do kind of like to dream about things I would want, want to do one day in my teaching. Mm -hmm. And um, I love the idea of teaching a whole class uh, through the medium of film. Yeah. I got to do that as a student, as an undergrad, my small liberal arts college, Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas. So I took a history class uh -huh. that was history and film. And uh, the professor kind of had a different theme every, mm -hmm. you know, time he taught the class. And um, so we watched a whole bunch of Oliver Stone films, JFK, nice. Nixon, Salvador. And um, that was a really transformative experience for me. I got to learn things that had been just like a, a blank spot in my education before that. Yeah. Um, about American history um, there. And I love the idea of teaching a psychology class just through the medium of film and analysis. That's super liberal artsy. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, right. And, and uh, having taught a psych of film course, um, it is some of the best fun that you'll ever have. So if you do have the opportunity to, I don't know, teach a summer course or um, add a course to your already full repertoire there that I that I mentioned um, earlier, uh, I definitely recommend making sure that one gets out on the books because I bet you you'll have people clamoring to 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 take it, especially with with the background of that that history and film class that you had, it 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 it's something that'll that'll 
definitely fuel the way that you would teach a psych and film class. So, yeah, that's really awesome. And um, of course, yeah. in my CTOP talk, I I say that uh, you know you should you should you should jump in head first into the deep end. I know you said you use clips, but you just dive right in. Just get in there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll call it a swan dive right in. Yeah. Oh that my one's gosh. free. That one's free. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So th that is really cool. And I love hearing that perspective of having taken a completely different film class. So let's pivot now to Still Alice. What was your reasoning behind choosing that film for our discussion today? So, you know, in our preparations for uh, this episode, we we rattled around a few films mm -hmm. that, um, you know, had some content that matched my expertise. Yeah. And um, I was a little nervous to choose Still Alice because I'm not an expert on Alzheimer's disease. And neither um, neither am I. I think that's important mm -hmm. for us to um, put out there is neither of us are, are Alzheimer's researchers or mm -hmm. Alzheimer's disease experts and or anything like that. Um, and while we're both co cognitive psychologists that can speak a little bit more about it um, than maybe somebody else within the psychological field uh we don't want to misrepresent we're going to try our best not to misrepresent it that's right um yes thank you for that disclaimer yeah alex um but my area of, of expertise broadly speaking is autobiographical memory uh -huh. and so um i was just kind of crossing my fingers honestly <laughs> <laughs> that there would be like kind of a lot to talk about in the realm of autobiographical memory in this film and and there is yeah like, we have yeah. some good things to talk about there um <laughs> we we also rattled around you know maybe looking at spellbound from mm -hmm. hitchcock and I, I enjoy hitchcock's films and the, the scores and um just the whole experience of a hitchcock film um and I thought that would be kind of fun. But honestly, the Freudy, Freudy, psychoanalytic, I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a, being a uh, being an older film. I think we yeah. we'd have that hill to 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 uh, <laughs> cross. And that would be it, it's more of a mountain at that point. Yeah. yeah so I, I totally I, said, yeah. I totally get it. And the interesting thing um, before we jump into our discussion that I wanted to add was that um, if you if uh, I don't remember if I actually did this when we were talking about what film to talk about that had like an autobiographical memory uh, bent to it. But I, 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 I did either look then or I looked later <clears throat> at uh, Indiana University's um, psych and film database. So it's more more like cognitive science film database. I don't know and about still, that. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh. no. It's it's oh. it's a great one. And it's and it's cognitive science. So it has all the stuff that you would talk about in cognitive science. And there's like dozens of films, if not close to 100 or so. It's a really cool database. Um but any in any case, uh, Still Alice is on there, and mm -hmm. one of the categories is autobiographical memory. So not just memory in general, 
but autobiographical memory is on there. So if you just search for that, so if you if you if you head yeah. to that website, you search for the tag autobiographical memory, it'll come up with all of the films that are tagged with um, you know, A B memory. Well, that is amazing and yeah. super validating. So and, thank you for sharing that. And still Alice, me. still Alice does have that tag. Obviously, the yeah. main tag is um mm -hmm. like memory deficit, I think is the tag to, you know, catch dementia and Alzheimer's and all, all of those kinds of and, and amnesia and all that. Uh, but <clears throat> the the autobiographical tag is on still Alice. So I was I was confident with this pick, even mm -hmm. though neither of us are Alzheimer's researchers. Or experts or anything like that. So I I was pretty confident. So without uh, without further ado, let's jump let's jump right into it. So speaking of autobiographical memory, I think that's an important point to start. But before we do that, before we jump into um, I uh, I would imagine uh, a wealth of knowledge there. Um, we do need to obviously point out that this film is about a, uh, we'll say, middle-aged woman who has a rare disease that brings about, a rare genetic disease that brings about early, early onset Alzheimer's disease. So early onset Alzheimer's, I think, isn't as young as what she um is in the film i think she turns 50 at the beginning of the movie um that's right. so something like that and so that's that's fairly early for mm -hmm. uh, an either even just an early onset diagnosis what's it like like what does it actually feel like mm, well it's not always the same you know i have uh i have good days bad days and on my good days, I can, you know, almost pass for a normal person. But on my bad days, I feel like I can't find myself. Um, I've always been so defined by my intellect, my language, my articulation. And now sometimes I can see the words hanging in front of me and I can't reach them and I don't know who I am and, and I don't know what I'm going to lose next. So to make our uh, to get our our viewers up to speed on what Alzheimer's disease is, Alzheimer's disease is a form of memory impairment in general, but it, it also has biological aspects to it, as most memory deficit disorders have as well. And this is a particularly uh terrible disease because it not only affects um it not only affects people in the places where they have memory stored in their cortex but it's pretty much an entire brain disintegration it, essentially the brain atrophies and starts to pocket and um a one of the current uh ideas that surround the biological underpinnings of the disorder itself is that uh, there are some proteins that cause the axons in uh, a person's uh, brain to start to uh, basically uh, 
kind of expand and unravel and sort of fall apart. I'm I'm motioning to Shanna, but I know you all can't see. Looks real good. Uh, yeah. So they sort of just like start to expand and 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 rip apart. And once they do, they essentially um, are no longer functioning. You can't send a signal through a ruptured axon. And so that cell gets cleaned out. Uh, it gets culled, and so you end up with a an, a, a very small brain, pockets, atrophied bits, and with that, with those cell deaths comes uh, essentially the loss of self. It's more than just a memory disorder. I want to say it's it's a loss of a self disorder. It's um and and I saw a comment um uh when I was grabbing some clips for this mo- for 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 our discussion I saw a comment where somebody compared Alzheimer's disease to cancer. So cancer's pretty rough. I think we can all agree that cancer's pretty rough no matter what kind of cancer you have. Um re- regardless if it's a small bit of melanoma that you can get excised off your skin or if it's like stage 4 pancreatic cancer and and things look grim. Like those are pretty rough things to deal with, but you don't lose yourself. You don't lose your memory. You don't lose yourself and um, all of the things that come with being yourself. Alzheimer's takes that thing away from you, including and not limited to some of the other things that cancer does take away from you as well, right? Your he- overall health, your overall well-being, your overall um, ability to communicate. And, and we see that throughout the course of the film. So we lose, with Alzheimer's, we lose so much more than some of the other uh, terrible diseases that humans have to deal with. So um, with that... Uh, I want to. I also want to say that um, apologies to our listeners that this is not going to be a very fun one, uh, as is typical on this show. This is not going to be a uh, uh, a lighthearted discussion. Um, There are some lighthearted moments in the movie, but um, Alzheimer's is pretty pretty sucky, right, Shanna? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 So, with that in mind, uh, because your Research is an autobiographical memory, and that is what Alzheimer's takes away. What what aspects of uh, AB memory are uh, represented in the film? What's your, what's your take on that? Well, so it's interesting the way you framed that because one of the biggest things that stood out for me is actually the preservation of some of Alice's memories. Okay, um, which I, I think. If you sort of, I, remember, I was talking with my students in my memory class just this afternoon mm-hmm. about this. I think if you sort of stopped people on the sidewalk and asked them what they know about Alzheimer's disease yeah. or, you know, what does it look like? I think probably your average person would describe a situation where, um, you know, this person is sort of not connected with their current reality. They're having trouble remembering things in the moment. Mm-hmm. But they can remember details, people and places from a long time ago. Okay. From a much earlier period in their life. And um, we see that in Still Alice. 
um, specifically, I was really intrigued by these sort of flashes of, um, actually, I want to get your take on this, Alex, because mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure if the images we're seeing are Alice and her mother when she's a child, when Alice is a child, mm-hmm. or it's possible it could be Alice's mother and Alice's sister. Um, yeah, that's, we can that's, break that I down think, if we want to. Um, I think it might be Alice and her sister because she references her sister quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, or Alice and her sister. Yeah, Alice and her mm-hmm. sister, and her sister and her mother um, died in a car accident. So that's right. I think um, what she's trying to do is hold on to some of those, um, mm-hmm. hold on to some of those memories. Yeah. So I mean, what I notice, you know, this this represented in the film is that as we see Alice degrading, mm-hmm. um, her cognitive performance is declining quite rapidly. Um, which is a function of the progression of her particular manifestation of the disease. Right. But also you have this really good discussion in the neurologist's office wherein he's explaining, now people who are quite highly educated mm-hmm. often do see rapid decline right. because they have been able to compensate with strategy. And that is true. Uh, that's my understanding. Mm-hmm. That that's the clinical presentation a lot of times um, for highly educated individuals. Um, so, but we, throughout the film, even though we see Alice declining quite rapidly, um, these memories are preserved and these images don't change very much. Okay. Is that the way you remember it in the film, Alex? Well, uh, I mean, yes and no. Um, I, okay. I suppose I can find some counterexamples, at least from my perspective. So it, it, mm. it the, the, the one thing that my wife and I um, thought about was when she was looking at a photo album, and we didn't re- we didn't realize that that it was a, a family home on the beach, um, mm-hmm. and so it seemed as though uh, her husband, played by Alec Baldwin, um, was concerned that she was looking at this photo album thinking um these people were her and her sister and her mother and stuff but could potentially not be i don't know if that's necessarily a a great example but um after her youngest daughter's play she goes they go backstage and alice doesn't seem to recognize her but um is plays it off as though she was just being kind of like a a, a um, giddy fan or something like that. But it, it, there right. is a lot of power behind the unstated stuff about her not recognizing her um, her daughter. And mm-hmm. from my understanding of Alzheimer's is that when it progresses, when the disease progresses that far, recognizing people is entire is extremely difficult. And whether right. or not um, recognition is in the same vein as what you're describing, that's I, I would I would say that's debatable uh, if I'm understanding um, your your right. take. Uh. I think we might be talking about different things. That's fair. <laughs> Actually. Um, so that reminds me of another scene. And honestly, I can't remember when this occurs in the film, but the older daughter, mm-hmm. Anna, who, if I understood correctly, Alice has named her oldest child, Anna, 
after her sister. Right. And and there is a point at which Alice refers to her older daughter, Anna, as Anne. Anne. Yeah. And Anna, um, she doesn't handle that super well, <laughs> you know. No, she she needs she needs to correct. Yeah, her Kate, Kate Bosworth bothered me in this movie. Uh, I I will mm. say that um, um, uh, none of the characters were very likable in the first twenty minutes or so. I it was it almost yeah. took me out of the entire situation of feeling sympathy or empathy mm. for any of these people because they were so unlikable. Like uh, Alec Baldwin's character, like, oh man, he could go jump off a cliff for all I care. <laughs> he, I, I, I mean, like I, I can Die. only imagine how hard it must be, but even before yeah. she's diagnosed and even before he knows anything, he is not a, a likable dude. So that that's just my take. And, yeah. and Kate Bosworth's character, Anna, also... Yeah. Not very likable. No, not really. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not. Control. I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, I didn't. I didn't love her. Um, <laughs> but I'm oldest. I'm the oldest child in my family. So <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I, I'm the middle one. So like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I, it's funny because I have an older sister and a younger sister. So the 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 three siblings yeah. there matched my uh, right, matched my right. livelihood. So, but I I think we'll probably come around to this again. Um, but so I think when I said earlier, I think we might be talking about different things. So I'm talking about the preservation of memories from much earlier in Alice's life. That's yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I I guess there's just a full range of what, Mm -hmm. what constitutes autobiographical memory. That's fair. So, I mean, but that's the thing. Um, so in Alzheimer's disease, it's like, my understanding, again, I'm not an expert on the disease, but my understanding is that um, this very frustrating pattern of preservation of some memories from very, you know, from a lot earlier in life, which does not match, you know, the person's sort of current reality. Okay. They may yeah, be gotcha. looking at their adult daughter. And calling them by the name of their sibling. I see what right? you're saying, yeah. Because the, the memory of that person from much longer ago is more intact. It's it's more well-preserved. And and it becomes and more it, salient because of that. Yes. Yeah, okay. That's right, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I, I see what you're saying. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a time difference here as far mm-hmm. as when the memory was encoded and what gets what what gets atrophied first what it mm-hmm. seems like okay yeah yep because so that as that shows up in the disease is actually reflective of a, a much broader um pattern of autobiographical memory in just kind of the normal population and that is that memories of experiences people places um you know things you enjoy there's even research on like your memory of songs Mm -hmm. from different periods of time and periods of your life and these memories from the period of adolescence through like early adulthood hold this sort of privileged status okay in memory and most people this is it's a really really it's probably the most well-documented phenomenon in the realm of autobiographical memory that memories from this period of life 
are very well preserved. They're easily retrieved. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, the, the research has shifted a little bit in the very recent years. Mm-hmm. So it looks like it, it depends on how you cue the memory. Um, so you get, uh, so it's called the reminiscence bump right. because yeah. if you draw a graph, yeah. right? You get a, you have a bump Whoop. in the graph. Mm-hmm. And that bump is actually earlier. It's younger if you have um, odor cues. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> I know. That's some, that's some quite recent um, discussion yeah. about that. Yeah. But, and there's some and all other of, more. There are, so, there are um, longer lasting ones. So the ones that I typically teach are the life script and cognitive hypotheses. Right, right. So there are multiple explanations for why does this occur. And I think they're all compelling explanations. Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's currently some attempt to sort of synthesize them into like a monster explanation. Okay. (laughs) That has features of all of them sort of simultaneously. I can see that. I can see. Yeah, because when I teach, I, I... See, I see the overlap, but an emphasis on one thing versus the other thing, you know, hypothesis to hypothesis, theory to theory. Um, so, yeah, I can I can see that. Um, it, it's interesting, though, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, that when you ask somebody who is late middle aged adult, so like late middle adulthood to early um elderly ages like uh so we'll say 55 to 70 uh years old the reminiscence bump typically tends to be around 20 years old somewhere around there is that mm-hmm. maybe even a little a little bit younger maybe a little bit younger yeah, okay I mean, ish and and so i it's um Intriguing to me that they set Alice, and this is probably intentional from the filmmaker's perspective, at 50, right? Because that is um, her, where, if, if she was neurotypical, where would her reminiscence bump be? My understanding of the reminiscence bump is, is not that it shifts as a function of how old you are at the time of retrieval. Okay. That's fair. Um, yeah, but but there is some evidence that the way you cue retrieval may shift the bump a little bit. The the age at which you have this peak of retrieval. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does. Yeah. And I I may just be I may just be misunderstanding. Um my own notes on that. <laughs> I probably well, so, don't teach it like that. So, yeah. Um, so one one of the hypotheses that's been proposed about why is there a reminiscence bump? So the, this is from like the David Rubin camp. Okay. Um, and David Rubin is, I, I tell my students, he's like my academic granddad kind of, <laughs> right? You know, you do your academic family. Training. Yeah, yeah. My my doctoral advisor did his postdoc studies with David Rubin yeah, at Duke yeah. University, and um, so he's one of the you know big names with reminiscence bump research. And so um, I know he he's had some publications on the cognitive hypothesis mm-hmm. explanation, and and that explanation goes something like this: um, 
you have a period of rapid changes in your life and maybe instability followed by a period of stability. Right. And, you know, for a lot of young adults, that's like you're, you're in college and you graduate from college, you're starting your career, you're starting your family. It's like a lot of stuff is changing. Right. And then you have that settling down period. But so he and some colleagues said, well, okay, what if we look at some other groups of people who had that same experience, period of instability followed by a period of stability, but that happened at a different age. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I can't remember what country, but they, they followed a group of immigrants mm -hmm. and the bump followed the timeline trajectory for those individuals. Right, yeah. So you see the bump, but it was actually later because the timing of that instability followed by stability happened later. Yeah. So that was fairly compelling evidence for that cognitive hypothesis. Right. Yeah. And I, mm -hmm. I talk, uh, talk about the, that, um, immigrant study as well. I feel like mm -hmm. they were from somewhere in Latin America, but I could be wrong about that. Um, I and I, and I say Latin America broadly because I don't even want to say central or South cause I, I don't even know. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, so Alice is remembering these older, these, Alice mm -hmm. is remembering these older memories and the ones as the d disease progresses, um, it is, it is those newer memories are getting, are getting, uh, eaten away and, um, mm -hmm. she's losing lots and lots of, uh, in the moment things. So she first discovers this. By forgetting words, forgetting where things momentarily are, uh, and all on all sorts of things. An early scene is she gets lost on her run, and she doesn't recognize that she's on the campus where she teaches at Columbia, and uh, she forgets a word during a, during a talk. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I mean, a lot of these scenes were super tough to watch, including mm -hmm. the very last, including the very last scene when she's uh, essentially a shell. But of course, the movie is called Still Alice. So mm -hmm. the idea here is that um, she is still this person called Alice to all of the people around her, her children, her in-laws, her husband. And, um, you know, if, if eventually she's going to have to um, get round the clock care. And you had mentioned in the notes that there's a particular scene that we'll go ahead and play here. We completed exterior repairs and inside we replaced the elevators, refurbished the auditorium, the library and lounge area and upgraded our HVAC system. Well, that's good. We also took away a lot of the old security doors. Residents are issued a bracelet instead, which keeps them from using elevators or leaving the building, depending on their level. I don't know if you've experienced this yet with your parent, but a lot of times they get nighttime restlessness and wandering. This way we can prevent their elopement without patients feeling they're locked in. I see. 
We saw after a while that large group activities left most of the residents unengaged and even distressed by the confusion they experienced from all the stimulation. So we redefined activities to include all interactions between staff and residents in the unit. Staff looks for opportunities to make meaningful connections with residents, starting with knowing about the person who they've been and what makes them comfortable. One woman who had worked as a nurse sat part of most days in the nursing station writing notes. That's heartbreaking. Yes, but it's a behavior we see time and again. We don't have any restrictions on visiting times. Family and friends are welcome any hour of day or night. It doesn't look like any reason today. Well, Sunday's the day they usually come by. That's a chair alarm. Certain residents have them so we know when they're up and about. Is she all right? It's just a precautionary measure. Get me to Penn Station. It's all women. We do have mainly female residents here, but there are men. There's William over there. William was part of the team that sent the first satellite into Earth. And so in that scene, um, she's visiting a nursing home and, and she's talking to one of the resident nurses. Um, and she and and uh, she explains what's going on with those residents. So what do you think about that scene, Jenna? Yeah, I was really um, intrigued by this scene because... That, so the staff person is explaining to Alice, we we used to have lots of big group, you know, um, recreational activities, but we noticed that a lot of the residents are either disengaged or they're getting distressed. Yeah. Just really because of the confusion. Yeah. They, you know, they're just not able to kind of engage and be present. Yeah. Um, and so they had really kind of changed their model so that the staff get to spend more sort of one-on-one time with the patients, really get to know them, know their histories. And in that way, the staff are set up to be able to, okay, the staff person didn't say this, but what I heard was the staff are more prepared to um, have readily available cues to give the residents to ease this, um, sort of disjointed experience. Yeah. The, the problem is there's a discrepancy between the landscape in the person's mind, which may be much more connected to the past. Right. And the, the reality that is around them, it's very disjointed. It's um, jarring for them. Right. So the more you can kind of help them out and give them cues um, to facilitate the retrieval mm-hmm. of these memories that are, you know, what they do have, right? Um, the more comfortable they are, and it's a quality of life issue at this point. It's there's not yeah. anything, there's no intervention we can do at this point to improve cognitive performance. Right. It's about comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Quality of life um, in the in the palliative sense, right? Right. Um, which which so the which leads um, w- which is sort of left un un unfinished at the end of the film. Um, mm-hmm. because it just, it yeah, sort we don't of really know ends. Alice's trajectory. Yeah. We sort right. of get a sense of what is going to happen with conversations that are quote unquote overheard, um, mm-hmm. between, uh, her husband and her eldest daughter mm-hmm. about how he was going to be taking a job at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, and what we don't really know what's going to happen to her and whether or not she's going to stay in New York in a home the home that she um, that she uh, visits, she visits under the pretense, by the way, of uh, having a family member come 
mm-hmm. uh, and uh, take a take a res- take up residence there, rather than saying that it's her with this uh, very early early onset um, neurodegenerative right. disease. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean it's it's rough all around, and we don't get we don't get that closure. Of course, that's not the point of the movie, but um, you know, right. it, it is what right. it is. So I want to, I want to, um, a- a- after, after a quick break, I want to, um, jump into the accuracy of the com- conversations that she has with the neurologist. So we're going to take a quick break and, uh, we'll be right back with that discussion. Keep on listening. Hey, listener, thanks for sticking around this episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Anyway, I need your help in growing this podcast's audience. In past episodes, I've asked you to share this podcast with five of your friends. Let's keep doing that. Share this podcast on social media, especially if you really liked an episode. Share that episode. Tell five of your friends or family if they have an interest in film or psychology, or even better, both. Growing the audience is our goal for the second year of programming, and so we need your help to get that done. Other ways to contribute to the podcast include tips to our PayPal, found on our website, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cinemapsychpod, rocking some sweet merch from our Spreadshirt shop, and or leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast service. Now back to the show. All righty. So we were talking about Still Alice. I'm here with um, Dr. Shanna Souther-Dobbs. And we were talking about um, the neurologist. There's a lot of scenes with this sort of random dude who is like the um, random guy in the back of a school assembly just giving you a thumbs up with a big smile. Like, hmm, yeah, this is great. Like, there's a lot of like a lot of screen time given to this guy. And we don't know a lot about him other than he's a neurologist and he seems like he wants to um, give Alice an appropriate, um, an appropriate doctor-patient relationship, which I mean is is nice. You don't see that well, in that, in that's films, good. right? That's important. Yeah, <laughs> right. As, as she's going to be going through something really, really terrible. But um, you had some thoughts on this, and I'd like to um, pick your brain about your thoughts on. Um, uh, Alice's uh, discussions over the course of the film with this neurologist. Well, so there were like how many visits were there? At least four. Yeah, something like that. Because there were like we spent- there were two, there were two by herself, and there were at least uh-huh. two with uh, her husband. Yeah, that's right. So we spent like a lot of time in this. And then he office. shows up at the at her um, Alzheimer's yeah, Association Alzheimer's, speech. Yeah. That's yeah. right. He's and yes, he's just like they 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 <laughs> hand to him and he's like, yeah, that yeah. was a good speech. I'm like, who cares, that dude? <laughs> that was yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
some of the some of the some of the uh, writing choices, I will say, um, <laughs> as well as, and this goes back to my earlier point about how none of these people were likable in the first twenty minutes of the film, <laughs> and the film is only like uh, ninety minutes long. <laughs> so if you're a third like of your movie, of <laughs> a third of your movie is, um, oh, am I supposed to like these people? Do I care yeah. that she gets Alzheimer's oh, disease? Well, yeah. You know what? That that didn't register for me. <laughs> that that scene at the end when he's like, good job on her speech. But now that you bring that to my attention, because she's a professor. Mm -hmm. She talks in front of audiences. Well, she used to mm -hmm. like all the time, right? Right, every day, no big deal. Uh, yeah, that was kind of like mm. <laughs> pat, pat on the head. No thanks. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyways, yeah, the, okay. These, these discussions with the the neurologist. Yeah. So you have so so you have some thoughts. Well, I I don't think I told you this, Alex, but um, so in a previous professional life, mm -hmm. I was a counselor. Like a like a the, school counselor or a or no. like a like a clinical counselor. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah, like my master's degree is in counseling. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so straight out of undergrad, that that was um, my first, you know, sort of foray into graduate training. And so, um, I recognized, you know, some of the like assessment, the basic uh, cognitive assessment. Yeah, yeah. And I'm surprised she didn't say man, woman, TV person mm -hmm. refrigerator i don't i can never remember the last one well i i was like are we doing a mini mental status exam mm. here and there was some like glimmers of it but it wasn't a full-blown you know mini mental status exam i don't think yeah i think Thought they we might may see a clock drawing yeah they may would have they, they may have had to get like copyright clearance to oh, use probably. the right. actual yeah. test yeah mm -hmm. yeah um i was at that point, I was kind of hoping we were going to see a clock drawing, um, yeah. but there was none of that. I don't think um, that would have been too cinematic. It wouldn't have been what? Too cinematic. I don't, I, oh, yeah. yeah, probably not. I don't know. I don't, cool you put up. it to some um, dramatic music, maybe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that would that's pretty niche, too, though, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really struggled with this whole PET scan situation mm -hmm. can we talk about that yeah go ahead because so at one of the visits so john is her spouse yeah is alec baldwin here for this consultation right yeah played by alec baldwin and so they're they're in the neurologist's office he points to his computer and boom there's a you know bright colorful picture of a brain and i'm like that's got to be a pet scan okay and he points at these red spots and says yep that's where you got the beta amyloid i'm so sorry it's been there for a long time <laughs> i don't think somebody knows what a what what positrons are doing well okay so i'm gonna be real honest with you i'm not a neuroscientist Fair. i mean i've like learned enough about pet scans to teach basics to undergraduate sure. students so I did do a little bit of reading, and at first I was like, no, okay, bright spots in a PET scan. That's where you have high activity, right? Mm -hmm. High glucose yep. um, consumption, mm -hmm. blood flow. So that doesn't seem right. You, It would be the places that would have lower activity. But then I did realize there are radioactive tracers that are used 
to detect the presence. Of oh, okay. So beta this amyloid. Yeah. So this is not the same thing at. So this kind of PET scan would still be mm-hmm. using radioactive isotopes, but it's they are not um, showing you glucose activity because the PET okay. scans that are used in um, PET scans for for functional scans. So the the uh, alternative, we'll say, to fMRI, um, mm-hmm. yeah, those those um, radioactive isotopes are are um, attra- I, I, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say attracted to um, mm-hmm. glucose. Show glucose has activity, and that's supposed to be the proxy, sort of like the bold signal is for uh, magre- magnetic resonance imaging. That's supposed to show you activity, but this must be a different radioactive isotope that's showing that is attracted to beta amyloid, which is one of the um, issues with Alzheimer's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think t- to be honest with you, and I, I get nit- nitpicky about this stuff too. I think to be honest with you, they were trying, I don't know how much. Um, is fully accurate on that. We'd have to talk to a neuroscientist, of course, but I think what Mm -hmm. they may have been trying to do was, um, here's some science-y stuff. Here's some jargony stuff. We're going to Star Trek this with some some techno and psychobabble, and um, people are going to get an an indication if they have no idea what Alzheimer's is. hand waviness over it you've got red spots on your brain bad yeah yeah that's what it felt like to me i was like oh i get really frustrated with that i'm gonna be very honest with you when i'm an audience member for film or tv Uh you know i'm like you could have just tried like 20 percent harder and been right. That's that's very true. I, you know, I uh, we, we'd have to look at the credits to see if they consulted with actual neuroscientists right. or Alzheimer's researchers. Right. They got permission to use the Alzheimer's Association stuff. So, um, yeah, they did have their logos mm-hmm. and their branding and all that. Yeah, yeah so they okay. definitely got permission yeah. from the mm-hmm. that association to do it. You had a note. I think I I I I do want you to um talk about this if you can. So you said you get annoyed by this. What was your what's your side note on 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 this? To okay. sort of put it in perspective for some people who haven't seen Still Alice or haven't seen um a pet scan being uh you know hand wavy. Yeah, so the Umbrella Academy. Mhm. On Netflix, which is super cool. Hey. Um, great. Oh, oh. Didn't didn't grab it's me. It's pretty cool. Uh, maybe. <laughs> oh man, it's <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know. We are not agreeing on the level of coolness of the Umbrella <laughs> Academy. Okay, whatever. It's kind of okay to watch. That's fine. Yeah. Um. So, but one of the main characters. Vanya, mm-hmm. played by Elliot Page, mm-hmm. is a professional violinist. Mm-hmm. And I'm I am an amateur musician. Okay. Okay. So I'm not a professional musician, but and I'm married to a music theorist. So music has been a it's a big part of my life. Yeah. And, you know when it's oh, not being used properly. Oh my gosh, it was so cringy. Are you watching the professional violin player who <laughs> looks like they've never held a violin ever? <laughs> 
And I feel kind of bad about this now because actually in preparation for this conversation did a little bit of reading and Elliot Page did take a couple of couple. violin lessons. Yeah, but, I don't know okay. if, if if we should give him that. Like if <laughs> Listen. Actors who are listening to this to this um amazing podcast. Any any right. any professional actors that are listening to this. Listen, if you're going to go get some training on something that you don't know how to do, this is what you start with. You start with, yo, I'm going to be playing this character in this movie or TV show, and I need this to look believable. I don't need to learn how to play it. I don't need to know what I'm playing. I don't even need to understand what I'm playing. It needs to look believable. So if I am impersonating Keith Richards... How does Keith Richards hold his guitar, right? Do you think um, Rami Malek was just like, no, 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 I got Freddie Mercury down. It's fine. It's fine. I was I know, about to say I know, I know how to sing. It's fine. No, he literally Malick. watched Freddie Mercury over and over and over again to look believable. Yeah. Sorry, I'm off my soapbox now. Okay. <laughs> I like Elliot Page. They're cool. Yeah. I love all the films and stuff, but whew, yeah. that was hard. Yeah. And I think that, I think circling back to the neurology, to, to all of the neurology things, yeah. they picked and ch- chose the mm-hmm. things that the audience without any knowledge like us, like they're mm-hmm. not writing for us, right? They're not, they're not directing for us, but they right. they 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 chose the things that would have impact to people. So um, we're gonna do this hand wavy PET scan thing. I don't know <laughs> if you. I don't know if if PET scan is the most accurate test for Alzheimer's. But in any case, they were like, let's sure. just do it. I mean, the movie came out in 2015. They they had to have known. Fair point. What yeah. was? But I mean, I mean, fair point. But. They had to have known. That was only six years ago, yeah, right? I mean, not, not, that I, not that long ago, and not 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 so long ago that we have no idea what we're talking about with respect to Alzheimer's disease, right? Right. So the PET scan stuff like actually i felt like i need to go read a bit to make sure that i'm thinking about this correctly so it was at least you know maybe sort of kind of plausible but the doctor say so alice is a really good example of a patient advocating for oneself yeah so i I loved actually that at the end of her very first consultation with the neurologist she so he's like okay we're gonna send you to get some tests um you know want to rule some stuff out okay great and then she asks in the meantime what should i be doing and that is an excellent question for a patient Mm -hmm. really in any situation to ask so that that was really good i appreciated seeing that right two things exercise because it's good to get the blood pumping like yeah okay and drink water because hydration is good for the memory. What? Yeah, that was that was a weird thing to say. Yeah, so I like th- so the exercise. Um, as far as I'm aware, the research does suggest that exercise mm-hmm. is good f- and has uh, and has indirect 
and direct benefits on cognitive function. That's fine. Yes. Right. Right. Um, water is essential to life. And you could literally say that about any malady that anybody has. Go home yeah. and drink some water. It's fine. You'll be fine. Water is good for the... Water is good for, for memory. At least it's not Frozen 2. And Olaf saying water has memory. And then at the end of the film, because the Elsa does her magic with the remaining ice particles and makes them into actual memories. And he's like, oh, I was right. And it's like, oh, my God, no, you're teaching kids this. Kids are going to be like, water has memory. And my, my, it was pretty, my daughter. It was pretty cool, though. I mean, yeah, cool in a fairy tale sense. <laughs> but like, how many kids think this is real? Water has memory. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> and That's so funny. water. I, I only just saw Frozen 2. <laughs> well, there you go. So it was fresh in your mind. You were probably like <gasps> horrified. Right. <laughs> no, Olaf, don't go toward the dark side. <laughs> this is pseudoscience. Uh, yeah. So hydration. Uh, hydration is good for everything. Yeah. Right. That was a weird thing to say. Like you would think again, you would think the doctor would be like, okay, yeah, so so exercise. And she does go on runs, so that's good. Mm -hmm. Um, and you would think that the doctor would be like, oh, okay. And then like, you know, leave yourself notes or have a planner or um do crossword puzzles. I, I, something more than just drink water. You'll you'll be fine like if you that. drink water. No, no, no. You won't. This disease won't progress if you drink your eight ounces of uh, or eight glasses of water a day. Right. Your 64 ounces of water a day. Gosh, that. Yeah, that was annoying. That was a whiff right there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, where'd you get your metal, medical degree? <laughs> That's good stuff. Oh, dear. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, now on to some lighter subjects uh, mm -hmm. with a very uh, heavy, heavy film. Um, how close to home did it hit when um, Alice is uh, talking with the chair of her department about her student evaluations? <gasps> oh, man. Right. I was like, this could be so destructive. Just this scene right here. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you know, just, just that clip. For yeah. what not to do to a single person ever. I'd been looking forward to this course my sophomore year, but I was thoroughly disappointed. The content was often muddled and delivered with little focus or care. Class was a waste of time. I ended up just following the online version. I found Linguistics 201 very erratic. I had a hard time following Dr. Howland's lectures even she seems like she gets lost in them. Eric, I am so sorry. I, I didn't know the students felt this way. Obviously, I will, I will make adjustments and we can reevaluate my performance next semester. Listen, is everything okay at home? Everything all right between you and John? Yes, everything is fine with John. Is it something we can help with? Stress, depression? No, no, no. It's no. substance abuse, oh, alcohol. Oh no, God, e Eric! No, it's 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 nothing like that. I it's a uh, it's. Medical. It's a it's a medical issue, and I admit I had a hard time teaching last semester, and I wasn't aware of how much it showed. Alice, I'm not following. 
I have mild cognitive impairment. Would you unpack that for me? In February, I was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease. Oh my God, I'm sorry. It's, it's early, it's still, it's still early stages. I mean, obviously it will limit my ability as time goes on, but for now I feel yeah, perfectly capable. No, really, there's no need to. I, I mean, we, we don't want you under any undue stress. That would be counterproductive. I can handle the stress. I would like to remain in the department for as long as we all think is possible. Well, I'll have to let the department and the faculty know. Yes, of course. I am so, so sorry. Yeah, there was a lot in that scene. Um, we should, uh, you and I should bring it up next time anybody has a discussion. Because I saw that and I was like, that's next time somebody brings up student evaluations and be like, hey, let me show you something that I watched recently that nobody should ever do. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was uncomfortable. Um, I the end of that conversation, like, I, I really hated for her that, I don't think this is what you meant when you brought this up, but I really hated for her that she, she was really forced to disclose her diagnosis at this point. Yeah. Um, and she did not get to do that in her own way. Right. And in her own time. Right. Another, another aspect of Alzheimer's taking away um, mm -hmm. a person's self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm. people are looking at you like, what's wrong what's wrong with you why are you do why are you behaving or acting in this way and it's like oh my god because there's a there's a really interesting scene that i'm going to play here that i think um uh is a nice juxtaposition for what you're saying there in, in the fact that um she doesn't get to be herself and she doesn't get to do things her way anymore and i think that's what they were trying to set up at the beginning of the film and maybe that's part up it's not why i thought she was unlikable it's Hi. the conversations she was having with her daughter that was what i thought was unlikable but the scene here is um she goes out for a run and um she comes back and uh and alec uh alec baldwin is very upset that he that she flaked out on their dinner plans or whatever so i want to play that here i'm sorry i forgot I have Alzheimer's. I texted you. I emailed you. There are John, ways to manage I, the I said out. I was sorry. She's the chair of my department for crying out loud. I had absolutely no idea where you were if something happened to you. Why didn't you bring your phone? I told you I can't when I'm running. Why don't you wear a fanny pack? Is it really that inhibiting? Yes. I hate that this is happening to me. I hate it too. But we have to keep the important things in our life going. We have to try, or we're going to go crazy. I know, I know, John. I am, I am sorry, but I don't know what I would have been like at a dinner party. I might not be able to remember names or answer simple questions. I mean, never mind get through an anecdote. I think you're doing great recently. Relative to what? I wish I had cancer. Don't say that. No, I do. I mean it. I mean, I wouldn't feel so ashamed. When people have cancer, they wear pink ribbons for you and go on long walks and raise money and you don't have to feel like some kind of a social. So it, the, the thing that I want to juxtapose with what you said about having to be basically being forced to disclose her diagnosis with um, 
her colleague, right? Somebody who was either elected or appointed to be the chair of the department because of some seniority or whatever. But still, her colleague, right? We're both we're we're both faculty members. These are our colleagues, and none of them at any point technically have that much power over us, right? It's with our mm-hmm. deans and our our provosts and things like that. Those are the people that I would consider my boss. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so she says to uh, her husband after she comes home, and she's like, "I'm sorry, I forgot." And then she goes into um, how being at a dinner party with people that she didn't doesn't know and having to navigate forgetting people's names. You see that um, at uh, Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner in, in the film mm-hmm. with her son's girlfriend. And mm-hmm. so it's just it, it, it means that she has to now think about mundane stuff more uh more fully right she has to go delve deep inside into just normal things that random that people just do randomly every day and she's got to be like how do i navigate this and now she has to deal with her colleague going like what's wrong with you why are your student evaluations terrible we have to kick we have to fire you it's like what but first of all what she probably tenured wait a minute wait a minute uh, and then she's now, and then yeah. she's forced to to go into um into that whole spiel, and uh, and then he's like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry," but then we hear nothing else about it, right? You know, that's so interesting because I didn't think about it this way, but I I am pre tenure. I'm an assistant professor. You are same, too, yeah, right? mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going up next year. Ooh. For, Ooh, tenure and promotion review. Uh, yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah, but yeah. so hmm, that's interesting because as a pre-tenure faculty member, like I don't think it registered. I mean, it did register, but I was like that. That didn't feel super not normal to me that someone would talk with me about my course evaluations because that does happen regularly. Really? Yeah, we actually have annual review uh performance evaluation right and 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 don't get me wrong yeah um i've had conversations um with my chair and my provost about Mm -hmm. but just but not about specific comments comments. yeah right right right. it's in the aggregate it's like this is the this is the general thrust and theme of your your narrative comments that's true. No, no one has ever picked out individual comments and been like, what's going on here? Yeah. So that that but, that's what that's what was striking to me about it. Right. And but she's a presumably tenured yeah, it seemed, faculty I mean, member. Like 50, and there's yeah. not that kind of scrutiny. Right. Uh, I mean, my understanding. One can hope. You right? know, for what <laughs> I look forward to the time. <laughs> right. I look forward to the time that nobody cares Someday. about what I'm doing. Do whatever I want. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was just gosh. But I thought I have thought at times about how to have conversations with students about their course evaluations. And I really I honestly have not landed on like kind of the right spot mm-hmm. for that yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's fine, too. I, I think you could, you know, I think I think we should all have conversations about what they are for, what they mean, what what they mm -hmm. do. Um, it's it's just it's surprising that a lot of focus is made on Alice being a professor of linguistics and her husband being some sort of professor or medical doctor or something of genetics or I don't know what he's what he does. He just says right. a bunch of random sciencey words throughout Science the words. yeah throughout the movie. Uh, but they're but they're both academic. They're both academic. Yes. And it, it seems strange to me that they didn't um, really fully explore the consequences of of showing a scene like that, which is which was mm -hmm. odd. I mean, I think what they wanted to do was make her more vulnerable than um, she had been previously. Um, Mission accomplished. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, pff, lawsuit. Lawsuit mm -hmm. right there. That's that's yeah. a potential for for big big problems big big problems and um i, I want to bring up one more uh one last thing which was the filmmaking aspect uh because mm -hmm. we both picked up on um some interesting cinematography and frame framing um for uh understanding what Alice was going through um and not a lot of so the one film that I would compare still Alice to in my mind is The Notebook um, oh, I've not seen it can you believe it that's fine it you're not you're okay. not losing anything but a love story and how many of those are there uh <laughs> <laughs> so um it's a pretty cut and dry movie it's um mm -hmm. uh, the main character uh is and i can't remember who plays her but um she's she has alzheimer's and she lives in a home and her husband is um uh james garner i believe and um, their younger selves were played by Rachel McAdams and, um, uh, but what's his face? Oh, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and it's very, uh, I mean, cinema, uh, cinematography wise, filmmaking wise, is very cut and dry movie. There's not a lot of messing around with the perception of that. But what I think still Alice does really well here is use the camera. And what it's recording to sort of get you in the perception of Alice herself. So the lack of focus versus when it becomes a focus, when she is uh, they use a lot of twirling shots like the the mm -hmm. around shots. So like I mentioned earlier that um, she was running and she doesn't recognize where she is in Colombia and she sort of. Her, she's looking around, but so the camera is also moving around her in a circular way. Um, later in the film, uh, when she's looking at the book, but then she's like, I need to go to the bathroom. Probably the most tragic scene in the movie is she can't yeah. find the bathroom in this house that she's probably known for a really long time. And she ends up um, wetting herself. Mm -hmm. um how the camera just like our focus is 
as confused as she is, even though we can see which room is the bathroom. Mm-hmm. We're still as confused as her and 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 all of those things. Uh, what what other things caught your caught your attention uh, in that realm? I, I thought the, the filmmakers did a nice job with this. Um, I didn't make a note about the spinning, you know, the kind of the spinning, the <laughs> spin the camera mm-hmm. around yeah. uh, to sort of reflect her disorientation. Um, but now that you say that, yes, yes, I totally, uh, I mean, I remember that and it stands out to me now. Um the lack, the change of focus, mm-hmm. um, as we as we see Alice kind of losing and then regaining focus, mm-hmm. and really the, um, I mean the whole film, it, it doesn't have a smooth narrative arc. It's a series of scenes, yeah, and there are abrupt transitions between the scenes, yeah. Um, and I think, tell me if you if you agree with this, the way I remember it is that the scenes kind of get shorter. The transitions are are a little more disorienting between scenes as we progress. Yeah, um, and you know, and sort of. I mean that in that context. Um, while we were watching it, we um, we noticed very early on that there is no indication. I shouldn't say no indication. There's very little indication about how much time has progressed. Right, so. Um, Anna is pregnant, so we at least know that nine months occurs because we're we are told when she's pregnant, and then um, they have the twins, and uh, she wants to hold the baby, and they're hesitant. Like she's like, I know how to hold a baby, right? Yes, she said that. I know how to hold a baby. (laughs) Yeah, which is which is um uh which is interesting from a memory perspective. Now we're not going to spend a whole Mm -hmm. um segment on this one, but um she she I mean uh procedural memories aren't necessarily lost. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, So and the holding of the baby is from you know. Sort of maybe the, that privileged time. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. but 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 yeah, you're right. So we don't get you know, a sense of how much time has progressed from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. And mm-hmm. since you said that the scenes get shorter and the cuts get more disjointed and sharper, um, that makes a lot of sense. I'm putting that into context. I hadn't, I hadn't thought very much about that sense of the passage of time but now that you say that yeah it didn't seem like it must have been very much time yeah and i think i was like interpolating that from the knowledge of how rapid the decline is you know from the the neurologist's appointment yeah right right but yeah oh that's a good observation yeah yeah Okay, so to end our discussion, I am going to put you on the spot. What is your favorite scene from the film? Tough one. Oh, I feel like this might be cheating a little bit, but I I was most moved, I think, by the closing scene. Mm -hmm. Her speech. 
um, at the Alzheimer's Association Care Conference. And it was honestly the only, this may tie into your statement about not feeling a real affinity for, <laughs> for these people, but that was the first time that I even came close to crying mm-hmm. somehow. And I did here because um, I think there was a, like, it really tapped into my spouse and I are both academics. We're both professors. Mm-hmm. And we have conversations sometimes about what if one of us develops Alzheimer's disease? Yeah. How will we even, you know, cope with that? And so much of our identity is in our cognitive you know, performance. Um, a lot of my identity is wrapped up in the way my mind works. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think it really tapped into to that for me. Yeah. But um, there were there were a couple of more aspects about that scene. So her being very strategic about I am going to do this thing. I am still Alice, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to give a talk in front of an audience and right. it's not the way I used to do it. Right. I have to work much harder at it. Right. I have my highlighter, you know, to make sure that I can follow along. Um, that I really enjoyed that aspect of that. And then these kind of beautiful words all my life, I've accumulated memories. Mm-hmm. They've become my most treasured possessions. And that's a little bit the way I talk with my memory students we we have just today this afternoon this week we have reached the portion of the semester that is autobiographical memory Mm -hmm. we did some like memory basics and then we read make it stick (laughs) and talked about effective learning strategies and now it's time to talk about you right you know and your memories and how they make you who you are and it's very personal yeah um and i i i liked that the film ended on that note yeah that's true that yeah that was the tour de force moment of the 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 movie yeah the uh the 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 scene that that really tugged me and actually sort of made me feel as anxious as she did was the um uh having having to go to the bathroom and then ultimately peeing herself Mm -hmm. right because Mm -hmm. as an adult we know where things are. We don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. We know we've been if if it's if I'm in my house, I know where the bathrooms are. And to lose something so basic and reverting to toddlerhood, to infancy in that moment um tugged at me. You mentioned crying. I thought this was going to be a big tearjerker. Um, it wasn't. Not, and I cry very easily. <laughs> I'm a super, like if somebody else in my vicinity is even sort of looking like they're about to cry, I'm gonna, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm, uh, uh, for particular films, I, I am right there with you. Um, and I, like I said, I thought this was gonna be a, a tougher movie, but, I think my biggest issue with it was um, those those early character scenes where it's just like, I, am I supposed to care about these people? Because you're making it very difficult. And Julianne Moore is phenomenal in this movie as a whole. But I mm-hmm. think that um, 
that fantastical aspect of her performance is the, I don't know, back two thirds of the film and not and not the the first part because mm-hmm. she is sort of if, if she was my mother, I'd be like, OK, I'm going to have a I'm going to go kind of moment and to so you've like yeah. and you find yourself oh wow i agree with Kristen stewart in this moment oh what has happened <laughs> what's happening right now <laughs> you, julianne moore won an academy award she did for yeah this that's performance. what i thought that's what i thought i, yeah. I hadn't I hadn't looked it up yet but um that's I what did i did to double check yeah, yeah. um and i yeah. mean rightly so people must have been stuck with the Flatter portion of the film. That is, I'm not a voter for the Academy. I'm not a member of the Academy, so my vote doesn't count. But one day, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't think so. Probably not. <laughs> well, I would like to thank Shanna for, for coming on today. And uh, joining me to discuss Still Alice, while saying goodbye, is there anything that you would like uh, our listeners to know? Anything you'd like to plug? Where can folks find out more about your work? Yeah. Um, so, fun fact about me, until shockingly recently, I was one of those people who would gleefully um, whip out my flip phone and like flip it at you to show it to you <laughs> like i really only just i have my first smartphone that i got right before the pandemic started so that was good timing. good timing good timing um so and i actually don't have a twitter account though i know that's the place to be like academic twitter is you know it's not for everyone but yeah sure i know about it yeah right exactly <laughs> but i'm not there yeah so you won't find me <laughs> on academic twitter um but I do have a profile on ResearchGate, and um, so you can see some I will, uh, information link about everyone. my publication. Yeah, I will link everyone to that. Um, Great, thank you. ResearchGate and um, the the Society for the Teaching of Psychology um, has a really active Facebook group. Right, mm-hmm. and that's that's where we met. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, so you can see me there. Indeed, for fellow teachers of psychology. Indeed, yeah. That that uh, Facebook group has gotten a lot of of love on the show, and it will continue to get a lot of love on the show because of how active and amazing it is. It's a great community. Yeah, it is for sure. And yep. welcome to the third decade of the twenty first century, Shanna. Um, <laughs> Thanks. You have you have finally arrived with the rest of us. That's that's all right. Um, yeah, so I will <laughs> I will link everyone to your research gate and um, and yeah, thanks for joining. And that's gonna do it for this episode. Until the next one. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>